Hey guys, welcome to episode 150 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. It's crazy that we're at episode 150. It actually is. It's insane, but with the Patreon episodes, like we just released Patreon episode 88, so that's uh, it's a lot of cases. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to do the math on this. You know what? Never mind. Yeah, I decided not to. I decided <laughs> uh, yeah. not to embarrass myself. It's a lot. <laughs> And really the reason that we're able to even do any of these cases is because of the listeners. So we wanted to start this episode, episode 150, out the way we always do, thanking you guys for everything you do for us. Yes, thank you guys. And we always appreciate it. So um, we know that you love limited banter. That's what we always hear. So John, are you ready to just get right into it? Always. Today's case brings us to middle America. Iowa specifically. And I was going to start here by throwing a whole bunch of crazy statistics at you regarding the economic importance of Iowa to the United States. And trust me, it's very important that Iowa keep Iowaing because we need it. Did you just make that up just now? I <laughs> Iowa keeps Iowaing. Well, yeah, we need it to. <laughs> we need it to, it to keep being itself because okay. it's really important. And it's super impactful. But what is just as impactful are the individuals that work ever so hard on farms because they're the ones that are kind of the driving force of Iowa being so important. But I will throw one statistic at you because I think it's crazy. Yeah, shoot. 85% of the state of Iowa is farmland. Really? Yeah. That's a lot. That actually is a lot. Well, I'm sure the other 15% like accounts for like highways, more states, um, school land, things like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's wild, right? And everyone like associates Nebraska with this is, I'm sorry, this is the Northeast and us coming out. So please forgive my ignorance. But I was always like, oh, Nebraska corn, but Iowa is actually the corn state. I think you're thinking Nebraska because of the corn huskers. In, in college football, is that what it is? Uh, probably just children of the corn. Oh, or that. That's my Th- that's, thing. That's yeah. true, yeah. But that is a thing, too. So the fact that 85% of Iowa is farmland, it would make sense that the people of any county or town from that state, they feel like they know each other because they share the same profession and seemingly the same ideals. And it's true. Like, the same ideals seem to extend to all of those who farm. Like, if I were to tell you someone's a farmer, you would immediately think, like, salt of the earth, hard worker, faith-filled, family man or woman, that kind of, like, old school, just get it done mentality. That's how we think of farmers in the United States. And that's why they say farming isn't just a job. It's something that's in your blood. Generations of Americans chose to do as their fathers had done before them, sowing, weeding, and praying for a good harvest. And with the profession comes hardships, and those hardships take many forms, financial, emotional, and sometimes physical. Aside from farming just being physically taxing on your body, there's also many farming accidents that take place. Now here I'm going to throw some wild statistics at you. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, each year more people die while farming 
than while serving as police officers, firefighters, or other emergency responders. But you're talking like collectively. Like the, no, like, no. Like it's the most dangerous okay. profession per like thousand Okay. I thought you were going to say that, that that farming is more dangerous than all those combined. No. Okay. But you made my statistic not sound as like cool. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Did I ruin that for me? <laughs> no. Okay. But it, I didn't know that that was the most dangerous profession that we have. It makes sense a little bit though because you're – you're on your own land, on your own equipment, with no kind of protocol. You feel comfortable. No, no OSHA behind you looking to see what you're doing. Right. <laughs> no, you know, nobody to oversee. So, you know, you've been doing, oh, and that's another thing. You're also doing the same thing over and over. And, and then all of a sudden there becomes a comfortability to that. And that's when accidents happen. True. I could speak on that. If I was doing the same task in construction all the time, I wouldn't think as much about it. You get a little lazy, careless yes, kind you of do. thing. You yeah. absolutely do. And that's when accidents happen. Yeah. You should like work for OSHA. I, you know, there was a time I wanted to. I remember. I remember actually using When I was going best. in between right. jobs. Yeah. But um, once I took my OSHA 30, I was like, nah, there's too much here. Too much for me. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to remember. Um, so the reasons for these accident related deaths include tractor turnovers, falls, entanglements in equipment so like being like your limbs yeah. taken off oh suffocation burns and toxic exposures and that is what brings us to our case today in november of 2018 a call came in from the mullis family farm in earlville iowa well just outside of the farm a frantic and hysterical husband called saying that he was on his way to the hospital his wife was in the truck with him and his son. She had been badly hurt in a farming accident, and she was unresponsive. What would follow that incident would tear the Mullis family apart. Had Amy Mullis, a mother of three, died in a horrible farming accident? Or had someone wanted her dead? Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. On November 10th, 2018, the fall harvesting season was coming to an end. There was light at the end of the tunnel for the hardworking Mullis family. Like a lyric out of a Tim McGraw song, Todd had met Amy Fuller at the Delaware County Fair in 2003. The couple would be married just over a year later on September 11, 2004. So two years later, they would have their first child, a son that they named Tristan, and soon after they had their daughter Taylor and another son Wyatt. Todd, like his father and brother, went into farming. The three men actually owned farms within miles of each other, so they were easily able to help each other out when they needed help. When Amy had met Todd, he already owned one farm, which he had purchased in 1999. Amy also contributed to the household finances through her employment as an ER nurse. However, as the years went on, Todd acquired two more farming properties, part of another farm, and he had also installed two hog barns on his property 
kind of behind his house. And these are like huge hog barns. They're the size of two football fields. The work that needed to be done on the farms seemed to grow and grow. And it seemed more profitable for Amy to stay home with the children and help on the farm than it was for her to be working in the hospital. So she made the choice to leave nursing. In 2018, Tristan, who was 13, had begun to take on some responsibilities around the farm so he could learn the profession around the safety of his parents. And this was kind of like par for the course because Todd had started working on his farm. Well, not his farm, but his father's farm when he was 11. I feel like that's just something that has to happen. Uh, especially like knowing somebody who was a kid of a farmer that I went to school with, that was that's just something that always happens. Yeah, you take on yeah. your dad's farm. Oh yeah, and it was uh, pretty interesting to like see them work. Oh, I can only imagine. But there were so many cool things, like the one time they brought a tractor to school. It was just one family, and they're you know I don't want to say the name. This obviously. is obviously after John moved from Queens to upstate New York. Yeah, yeah, of course. You have to clarify. <laughs> I, I, thank you, though. I actually did not. But anyway, I don't mean to go off on a tangent. But it used to be really funny when they would when the family would bring the tractor and try to park it in the junior parking lot. It was a really funny time. I could only imagine <laughs> that that was wild. And there they were, the Mullis family, on a cold, windy Saturday morning. Everything had been completed with the harvest, and Todd just had some hogs sold, so that's good. And their task that day was to prepare one of the two hog barns for the infantile hogs that were to be coming in, so that he would obviously raise. This is just after 10 a.m., after Amy had made breakfast for the family. While the two younger children stayed in the house on the front of the property, Todd, Amy, and Tristan worked in the hog barn, which is massive. Like I said, 100 yards, size of the football field. And they had two right next to each other. So I know it's going to be a little hard to conceptualize because I'm going to be explaining the layout of the farm and I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm going to put pictures up for our Patreon supporters. And also, if you're listening just on the regular feed, I'm going to put pictures up on our Instagram page just so you can kind of see the layout of the Mullis farm because I think it'll allow you to better understand kind of the movements of the family on this day. So they're working in one of the hog barns and Todd was arranging all of the feeders in the pens. His son was bringing heaters into the pen from the storage area because it was only going to be getting colder and it was actually really cold that day, but it is like mid-November in Iowa, so it kind of makes sense. And Amy was on light duty. In my opinion, she really shouldn't have been out there at all, but I know how it is when you kind of just need to get things done. She had just four days prior had an endometrial ablation, which is a minimally invasive surgery that's completed to help with heavy menstrual bleeding. So it's kind of like a DNC for people who know what DNCs are, but it's a more modern version of that. And she wasn't supposed to be lifting things over 10 pounds, but she was still, you know, kind of being really active, not just with the children, but family chores around the house, and in that moment, cleaning light fixtures in the barn. 
So I don't think that would all be doctor recommended. Probably not. To clean the light fixtures, Amy needed to stand on an upside-down five-gallon bucket. Both Todd and Tristan noticed that she was a little unsteady on her feet, so they suggested that maybe she stop working on the light fixtures. She also um, kind of mentioned that she was getting dizzy. Todd asked her if instead she would go get a pet carrier from the red shed that was located about 30 yards from the front entrance of the hog barn. But where they were all working, they were working in the hog barn, but all the way at the end, like the furthest end away. So it would have been like the red shed was 130 yards away. Okay. Yeah. So this seems like a really weird, like, I feel like we're getting set up for like this bad disaster here. I don't know why. Listen, she's dizzy. Well, because it's a true crime podcast. (laughs) Of course. But you know what I mean. Anyway, you think about this. She's dizzy. I mean, I wouldn't send you to go 130 yards if you just told me you were dizzy and you were having problems. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have me cleaning light fixtures either. No, I would not. But my point being is that it seems like this is not good and it's going to lead to something bad. You're saying like it's a scene in Final Destination. Like everything is like teetering on the end of like. Yeah, well, it's it's like this perfect storm uh, about whatever's going to happen next. Yeah, it it kind of is. So she's going to this red shed to get uh, the pet carrier. And Todd asked her to either take it from the red shed into their shop building for him. And that's kind of like where he kept the tractor or leave it outside of the red shed for him to pick up himself later. So the reason why Todd needed this task done, why he needed the pet carrier is they recently their cat had a litter of kittens and he was going to be going out with the tractor and he wanted to collect all the kittens before he went out on the tractor because he didn't want any accidents with the kittens. Okay, that's smart. Yes. So that's the reason why the pet carrier was needed. And Amy agrees to go do so while they continue to work in the barn. Todd and Tristan continued to work for another hour and a half at the back end of the hog barn. At one point, Todd walked around to the front of the barn and noticed that the pet carrier was not waiting outside the shed. He figured that Amy would have left it outside of the shed and went back inside because it was around time to make lunch for everyone, and she probably wouldn't have wanted to carry it to the second location, especially because the pet carrier was anywhere between 10 to 15 pounds. And remember, Amy wasn't supposed to be carrying anything that was over 10 pounds. So he asked Tristan, meaning Todd, if instead he could go to the red shed and see what was going on. He he told his son either if the carrier is in the shed, bring it out. Or if you don't see the pet carrier in the shed, then go to the shop building and see if the pet carrier, if like mom brought it to the, the shop. Okay. So that was basically Tristan's job in that moment. Tristan made the walk from the back of the hog barn all the way over to the red shed. And now it's called a shed, but it's not small by any means. I mean, it's, it's keeping some like 
pretty important stuff for them. So it's a pretty massive structure. When he pulled open the doors and the afternoon light flooded into the structure, he saw something that no son should ever have to see. His mother was laying slumped over the floor on her hands and knees. She had been impaled by a corn rake and was unresponsive. What? A corn rake was sticking out of her back. Okay, I'm not too familiar with what a corn rake is. Okay, so think about okay. just a regular rake okay. that we used like on the leaves. Like when I rake the leaves? Yes. Okay. But it's more like a kind of like a pitchfork. It's smaller and it has four prongs and they're really sharp. Okay. All right. Like they're like about, I don't know, eight to ten inches. And we also use something like that for hay as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So now I, I get what you're talking about now. Okay. okay. So it's sticking out of her back and she's unresponsive. So the large farming tool is very deep into her back and of course they come in like different lengths and sizes and whatever so i mean they don't always have four prongs they most likely do um and it was could you imagine seeing that no especially for a 13 year old kid to see their mom like that right not good so he screams out to her but he gets no reaction because she's completely unresponsive at this point he doesn't know how long she's been there that is true, because they thought she was preparing lunch, right. right? Well, they thought she went back inside to rest, but that's around the oh, time they okay. were checking. So Tristan called out for his father and rushed to his mother. He checked to see if she had a pulse or was breathing, and she did have a pulse, but it was very faint. When his father approached and saw the sight, he was in shock. Tristan let him know that there was a faint pulse. And he told his son to bring the family truck around. I feel like kids start driving at like age eight on farms. Um, So he said, bring the family truck around. We're going to take mom to the hospital to get there as quickly as possible. And Tristan listened to what his father said and ran. When Tristan returned with the truck only minutes later, he saw that his father had moved his mother and was like waiting to like get her into the truck and Todd had removed the corn rake from her back. Okay. That's probably not something you want to do. Yeah. I would say now, now, you know, when you remove an impaled object, now you're just gonna start bleeding arteries and stuff like that. Yeah. I I don't, that wasn't a good thing to do. Well, I will say the hard call here is do you call 911 and wait, or do you take it, go right to the hospital? I think depending on, The location and how far they are from everything, I think maybe getting in the car is probably the best move. But then at the same time, now you are lacking that medical attention while you are, you know, waiting for transport. Or, you know what I mean? I don't know. And you've also removed the object in order for her to fit into your vehicle. Yeah. So that's bad because if that piece of equipment injured any of her organs and you've now pulled it out that's something that would have been more safely done in a hospital but but he's panicked he's his wife yeah he's in shock right there's probably so many different things going on inside that man's mind 
there's no way that he could make a rational decision. I agree with you. And I also think that it's an interesting point that you brought up of the question of whether or not do I drive myself or do I call an ambulance. And I think for people like us who live in a very well-populated area and we have law enforcement within our town, within our county, within our state, you know, there's like hundreds of volunteer firefighting departments from every town surrounding us. We would call 911 because we know the response time would be quick. But I think people from rural areas are so used to kind of doing things themselves because it's quicker, whether it comes to calling 911 or driving to a hospital, it's faster for them to do so because you don't know where your nearest responding like EMS is going to come from or fire and how far out they are. I mean, they're in farm country. Also, one last point to that is think about it. Even if you were to call 911, you know, and and then like, you know, you get an ambulance to come over, they might get a, a little loss on a farm, not because they don't know the area. Of course they know the area, but where do they go? Right. It's a large farm. So it, that's complicated in itself, and that's just wasting time on top of it. Exactly. So Todd told his son to get into the passenger seat of the truck. He then proceeded to pick Amy up and place her so she was laying across the truck bed. Her head was on her 13-year-old son's lap. I mean, this is traumatizing for Tristan. I can't even imagine. Todd then ran around to the driver's side and began to drive to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, he calls 911. Okay. So the call to 911 is placed, and this is around 12.01 p.m. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to include the 911 call in the show notes. And it's a seven-minute 911 call, and it's Todd explaining to dispatch that his wife is unresponsive. There was a farming accident. She had been impaled by a corn rake and that he pulled it out. Dispatch tells him to stop driving, that it's safer for him to pull over and wait for an ambulance to get to where he is. And they're asking if he could perform CPR. So he removes his wife from his son's lap and is able to get her into a position on the ground where he can begin to start performing CPR. And you can hear Tristan in the background. And he seems to be in shock, like answering questions that his father's asking him um, because obviously it's being relayed from dispatch. And it just seems like the boy's very kind of traumatized, in shock. Like he's not hysterically emotional. He's just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I mean, he's covered in his mother's blood. His father's giving her CPR on the road while they've just literally pulled off on the side of the highway. And as the dispatch is kind of counting out for Todd, like, take a breath, take a breath, take a breath, and then start doing chest compressions, he's listening to the directions of dispatch. So that's what you hear on the 911 call. And he seems to be very frantic, very sincere. And I do encourage you to listen to the 911 call because it is going to have a really big role in the case later on. Okay. Okay. So 
Um, I didn't want to play it because it is seven minutes in length and you kind of can't just play portions of it. You'd have to play the whole thing. So I'm going to leave it to you guys in the show notes and you can kind of take it from there. So after the call finished, this is what takes place. Deputies and EMTs were on the scene in the ambulance and bystanders that knew the family had showed up at the scene. And it's unclear how they were aware that this scene was taking place. I don't know if either they were called by Tristan or the other kids at the farm had called them, but somehow people that knew the family were also on the scene. They might have even heard it on their radios because I know that, you know, a lot of people just have the police scanners. I mean, the, the kids were left unattended or maybe somebody just saw him speed, like speed off in a hurry. Right. And maybe, you know, once the, you know, once that car stopped, then they kind of walked over. You know, they heard a commotion was happening yeah. like across someone's field. They show up. So, but anyway, no matter why they were there, once Amy is placed in the ambulance, a blood-soaked Tristan went home with one of the bystanders. So they drive Tristan home to kind of take a shower, get him back with his siblings, get him in a comfortable place. And Todd is going to get into his car and follow the ambulance with another bystander back to Oneida Regional Medical Center, which is located in Manchester, Iowa. And this is a hospital that 38-year-old Amy used to work at herself once. That's right, because she was the ER nurse. Right. And from all accounts of people that dealt with Tristan afterwards, it was like he was kind of in uh, shock. And as he was being driven away, he kind of started getting emotional because I think it was like sinking in for him. Well, yeah, when like something like that happens so quickly, you literally have no time to register what's happening to you or around you. You right. know, you're you're in your adrenaline's going. Yeah. So when Amy Mullis is brought to the hospital, she's pronounced dead. Ah, oh, man. Now, the doctors at the hospital were used to farming accidents. Like I said in the introduction, 85 percent of Iowa is farmland. So, of course, a hospital in Manchester, Iowa, is used to seeing farming accidents. But they had never really seen one like this before. They believed that something was wrong. She fell on a corn rake. And while not impossible, if she fell from a substantial height onto the rake, which had 10-inch spikes, it could cause her death. Like, she could have done that, but it just seems improbable that that would have taken place in the shed. I don't know much yet, but I think you're right. There needs to be a lot of exerted force to stick that into somebody. Correct. For that to actually, you know, to fully impale. Like you wouldn't have just been able to be standing up and then fall backwards and it would impale you with that force. You would have had to have fallen from a higher height. And maybe she was reaching up to get the pet carrier. Maybe she climbed up on a ladder. So it was like the deputies that had been present during this entire scenario were kind of questioning what was taking place and knowing that they would need further information. It's very interesting. So let me just make sure I get this straight. 
she was impaled from behind her. Yes, right? her back was impaled. Okay. So she, it's not like she fell on it or like tripped and fell on it or it was like angled up or anything. It was from the back. Well, it could have been angled up or it could have been like laying on a table and like she somehow backed into it. Like maybe she was trying to pull the pet carrier out and she backed up and just went right into it. Like if she's trying to pull it out with force and you know you get released quick. Yeah, but even then that object would slide or move or it wouldn't just stay. You know, it's not an immovable object. It's not going to mm-hmm. just stay in place. That's interesting, So even right? if you were to back up into it, it, I, I, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're headed into the true crime aspect of this now, I guess. Yes. All right. So once all this information was given to the sheriff, he was split. This could be an accident or it could have been a homicide. But the only way they were going to know if they had an investigation on their hands was if it was ruled as such by the medical examiner. The lead investigator on the case was present during the autopsy, and the findings were as follows. First, and most troubling, was the fact that during the autopsy and after Amy's body had been cleaned up, because obviously she was covered in blood, they saw that Amy had six puncture wounds. Okay, and the fork only ha- the thing only had four, right? Only had four prongs. But there was six holes. Correct. Which means somebody, somebody must have hit her again, or she got impaled again. Well, I mean, like it. It seems near impossible that someone would have accidentally fallen onto a rake, only got punctured twice, and then got up and fell back down again with enough force to be completely impaled again. Yeah, I'm already on to the foul play portion of this (laughs) because it's definitely foul play. Yeah, I would say the six puncture wounds right away make you see that, like, there's no way that this could have been an accident. Okay, so right off the bat, let's talk about this. They, like you said earlier in the beginning, there were three farms owned by the brothers. Is, is that no? He owns the three. He farms. owns. Yeah, but who runs them? Him? Yeah, well, he just does. him. Mm-hmm. Him and his family. Well, no, his brothers have their own farms, and his father has their own farms. And how far is it from theirs? Is it Miles. Far? Yeah. Okay. Because think about it, they own hundreds of acres of property okay. themselves. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like so. Maybe if he has some sort of farmhand hired there, maybe. Who knows? You're thinking right away Todd hired someone to kill his wife? No, no, farmhand. Like, like oh, if a he farmhand. Had, like if he had killed... a farmhand on, on, on the okay. property of some sort. Or if he was if he pissed somebody off. Ooh. You know, like somebody maybe, I, I don't know, uh, maybe someone that's jealous or wanted the land or. So you're thinking farming dispute? Maybe farming dispute. Angry farmhand. Angry farmhand. Maybe they he owed him money. Interesting. Um, you know, like these are the, all the things that I'm thinking about. I, I do find it questionable, though, that he would pull that out when he saw his wife like that. Maybe he panicked. B- because this is the thing, Your too. Your first instinct is to pull it out. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, like, I I think that. We've watched enough sh- uh, shows, movies to know. It's probably not the thing to do. Well, and he's supposed to seemingly know what to do in farming accidents. So you would think he would have been trained 
in that. You know what sucks too? We can't even be like, oh, let's see if there's any fingerprints that don't belong on that object. But that means that... Well, the, there still could be. I mean, there could be, but the husband's fingerprints are on it too now. Plus, right. it's probably something that everyone used. So it, w- it wouldn't even like give you any kind of um, clues. Right. Well, in addition to the puncture wounds that the medical examiner observed, there were also injuries to her chin, cheekbone, knees, and knuckles of each hand. It seemed like she'd gotten into a bit of a scuffle. Like defensive wounds? That's what they looked like. Okay. According to the findings, as reported in court, the injuries to Amy's chin had both crush and scraping components to them. However, there was no debris found in the wounds. Originally, in the beginning of the exam, the examiner had not known that the rake had only had four spikes until she asked to see the rake. And that was when like, she asked to see the rake because she wanted to do some like testing to see if like, is it possible for that fall like to have impaled her so deeply? And then she was shocked to see that the rake only had four prongs. Because then you're like, yeah. what? This is definitely yeah, the medical, crazy. Yeah, the Emmy must have been like, okay, we're dealing with something odd here. And knowing that this was a potential homicide, they requested that the state forensic pathologist perform an autopsy themselves. Because they were like, this is kind of outside my pay grade, and it seems like this is something really important, and I think getting a second opinion is the right thing to do, which I think is important to do because it allows uh, a thorough autopsy to be completed. So the lead investigator left the initial exam not having the homicide stamp yet because the that ME said, you know, we want the state forensic pathologist to perform this autopsy at least they thought about this and said you know what we don't want to ruin anything we want every piece of information that we can let's just let it go and go to somebody who's higher qualified to handle it and i think that's very big of them to do that i think it is too i think they're they're being thorough yeah and that's important so the lead detective doesn't have the homicide thing yet but i think he's on his way to getting it because it pretty much seems like this has been a homicide Meanwhile, back on the farm, deputies <laughs> deputies were investigating the scene. They had followed Tristan Mullis and the person who was driving back home. Now, remember, this is all like really unique because when the deputies and EMTs arrive at the scene, they're not arriving at the crime scene. They're arriving at the secondary location where Todd Mullis had pulled off on the side of the road. So this is the first time they're going to observe the scene where this took place. So it's actually pretty unique. You know what? You're right. So they get there and, you know, they have a lot of questions about the scene. And there's also this kind of thought process in the back of their head of Todd Mullis left the scene with his son and his injured wife. What if the person that did this came back to the scene? They had ample time to clean it up. So are they even going to be investigating a scene that hadn't been tampered with? Had the kids come out? Like, 
That's a good point. Also, the crime forget, scene was never secured. Yeah, forget about cleaning it up. What if there was still somebody there and your two uh, was the two more kids? Yeah, your two kids there, were there. Yes, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, like that. This person could have been hiding in the shed when Tristan went to go open the door. I mean, it's a big enough property. Yes. You also have to think about that. Hiding behind the silos. 100%. You could enact this murder, hide, wait for everybody to leave, and then go. Yeah. That's actually really scary. And what if it was somebody that was counting on that almost? Yes. Maybe they were counting on the fact that he, you you know, that the husband would pull the truck around, you know, and, and leave. Maybe leave all the kids. Maybe. It's a possibility. I, you know, Maybe this person, if it is foul play, which it sounds like it is, maybe whoever is responsible knows the layout better than most and understands protocol or what he would have done in that situation. Very interesting. Also Someone who using, knew him well. Well, also using f- the, the farm as a cover right? to getting away with this. It's interesting. Because I think that when you said to me and all of us in the podcast, when you said most of the incidents or, or deaths or whatever are from farming accidents at the hospital, well, who knows better than somebody that is uh, a farmer a farmer, or somebody that is, uh, you know, potentially somebody that's married to an, an ex-ER nurse mm-hmm. that would know. Interesting. Well, when they got to the scene, they asked Tristan what he had observed and he gives them a statement, and they also ask Tristan to take them to the red shed, which he does. Once the lead investigator left the autopsy, he then heads right over to the farm, and that's where he's briefed by the deputy that had been there and had taken Tristan's statement, and together they take a look at the crime scene. One of the most significant parts of Tristan's statement was the fact that he claimed that he and his father had been together in the hog farm the whole time, and they both never heard a cry from their mother. Like, they never heard her yell out. But it also would have been very difficult for them to hear her cry out because of the distance they were away from her. Okay, yeah, right. The distance, the fact that it was inside of a... Uh, a shed right you probably have machinery going somewhere on a farm so you can't hear as well and you have animals making noises most likely right so yeah it's you're not gonna hear much and they were both inside separate like enclosures like they were inside the hog barn she was inside the shed so it was very not likely that they would have heard her scream But Tristan Mullis does offer up some really interesting information. His father was with him the whole time. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part right there to know that because it would be one thing if he sent the mother there Mm -hmm. intentionally to get her there alone. And then let's say let the kid go elsewhere. And then and then he sneaks. He would sneak away and do that. But in this case, we're not you know, we know that he was with him almost the whole entire time. Right. The only time they were apart was when the kid stepped away to go check on his mom. Yeah. So that's interesting. interesting. Oh. Oh, Jinx. Jinx, you want me soda? (laughs) So two days later, the Iowa State forensic pathologist was set to examine the body again. The lead investigator was present. She determined that the damage to Amy's left hand could have been defensive wounds. And the injuries to her chin, cheek, and ear 
could have been from blunt force trauma. So someone could have hit her, she fell, and then she gets impaled. She also determined that the puncture wounds were consistent with two different wound paths, meaning that she had been impaled twice by the corn rake. She found that the corn rake had penetrated so deeply into Amy's back that it ruptured her breast implant and exited from her chest. Wow. And it also punctured her lung and liver. That's crazy. In order for her to have been impaled so deeply, she would have had to have fallen from a height higher than was possible in the shed, or she would have had to have had a lot of force. Like, she couldn't have even been running backwards and did this. Like, think about how hard she must have hit that corn rake in order for it to impale her like that to go through her body. Right, and and you also are not... Uh, taking into account, though, that the object itself would have had to be cemented and not have moved during a process of right. backing up into it. That's what I was trying to say before, but I don't know if I explained no, it. No, I know enough. what you're saying. It would have yeah. had to have been at a fixed location, which is rare for a rake to be in, especially a, such a fixed location that You would back would up have, into it and yeah. then be impaled by it. Now, it... I don't know if it is important or if that answers some questions, but the handle of the corn rake had been broken. So maybe it could have been positioned upward and with her fall, it even broke the handle of the rake. I just think there would be there's too much force required to do that. And the second puncture wound. Yeah. Like that can't be explained. No, no. Because it meant she would have had to have punctured herself gotten up off of it and then, and then fell back again, again I, yeah, no. with tremendous force again right. so it doesn't make sense it nothing seems to really no. make sense yet. and the broken handle i mean you could really write that off it's a farm you keep tools for a long time and you know it's possible that the that the let's say the plastic part that meets the two metal pieces is gone from it right that doesn't mean that it's no good they're gonna keep it right. so that means nothing so based on all of this information Amy Mollis' death is ruled a homicide. The person that was most obvious to investigate was Todd. He had been there, he knew where the tools were, and he had the means. However, they needed to know if there was motive for him to do so. They questioned Todd, and he told them that he would never kill Amy. And it was true that he and Tristan were both telling the same story. They had both been on the far end of the hog barn the whole time, and Amy had left to go to the shed, and they didn't hear from her afterwards. The far end of the barn was well over 100 yards away from where the shed was, and they had both been adamant that they were never out of each other's sight, and they were both very obviously upset about the loss of Amy. Yeah, I mean, though, could it be the perfect alibi? I mean, I hate to say it to a 13-year-old and a husband that just lost their wife and mother, but I'm just trying to say, like, could that be his way of having an alibi. I mean, I, I'd hate to say it, but here I am saying it. Right. <laughs> you know, because it's, I mean, crazier things have happened. No, it's true. Um, but once again, if they truly were next to each other the whole time, there's not enough time for him to leave. Yeah. Unless, to do that. Yeah, unless, the, unless, unless 
the kid is scared and is lying for his father. That's the only way that it, in my opinion, it could be him is if the kid's being told to lie, and he is. Yeah, but when Todd, when when Tristan was first interviewed, he didn't even have a chance to talk to his father. That's true, unless it was planned way up, way up, like way ahead of time, right? But then again, what would a thirteen-year-old have bad, you know, bad blood against their mother? You know? Yeah, you'd be like. Your mom is like your mom, you know? Right. So, I mean, I don't know the family dynamic, but, I mean, I, I doubt that. So Okay. So, in a separate interview, the investigator pressed Todd about any issues that may have existed in their marriage. And that was when he came clean about an indiscretion in Amy's past. In 2013, she had had an affair with someone that she had met through work while she was still working at the hospital. The couple at the encouragement of a friend, entered counseling to heal their fragmented relationship. They decided that they wanted to make things work. Amy had quit her job and she became a stay-at-home mother, and the agreement was, in order to build back trust into their relationship, that if Amy was going to go somewhere, she had to let Todd know. He said that they had solved all of that, though, and that they worked really hard, and it was in the past and now things were good again. It's an interesting piece of information because now could it be somebody that she was having the affair with? Yes. And it seems like now we know that she didn't s- just leave nursing. Right. It seemed like something that was like an ultimatum a little bit. So at that point, the investigators were thinking, well, if Todd has an alibi, the victim's own son... And he said things were okay. Then had someone else come onto the farm property and killed Amy? Now, this is when, obviously, I'm going to put pictures up of this. But I just want to explain the farm a little bit to you. So say you are in the road and you are looking at the Mullis household. So the first thing that you're going to see right in front of you is going to be their house and silos to the right. Now, if you're going to kind of like take the road, the driveway into their property, you're going to immediately have the red shed located to the right of the house next to where the silos are, but I would say about 50 yards behind the house. And then about 30 yards from the red shed, you're going to see the location of the two hog barns next to each other. So it would go house, red shed, hog barns. So could someone have just snuck onto the property, got her in the shed without Todd or Tristan ever seeing them because they were so far away? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I I just think that for somebody to just do that, it needs to be personal. I, and, and like you said, they need to know the property. Right. Like, I, I really do believe that that's what is going on here. I think it's personal. It, the attack was on her only. Just quick in and out. Because it. I don't think it would happen so, there randomly. Yeah. They're really out in the middle of nowhere on a farm. I don't think someone's going to make the trip there to do that to just her and nobody else and not take anything. And know she was in there. Right. Like, not, you know, they're not going to steal anything, take, you know, whatever. Like, it doesn't make sense. No, I agree with you that 
it definitely seems like it's something that's planned. It has to be somebody in that town, that 15% maybe of uh, that's not farmland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So in order to understand what happened, the investigators would have to look further into the life of Amy Mullis and her family. In order to do that, they obtained a search warrant for the property and the family's electronic devices and cell phone records. No physical evidence was found within the shed, barn, or any other structures on the property. However, it was discovered that there was a camera system that covered the property using two separate cameras. Unfortunately, there was no camera that pointed at the red shed. The closest thing to it would be a camera that pointed at the yard between the two hog barns and a little bit of the road or like gravel road that existed right in front of the shed. But no video could be recovered from that camera. It's actually really weird. The footage that police received was empty from October 30th to November 10th. And the footage picks back up November 11th, the day after the murder. Okay, hold on. That's very interesting. Where is the video being recorded at? Is it in the house? Um, yeah, well, it's just kind of like being recorded at like, uh, it's like, it's not being recorded on like a VHS tape. Like, it's like kind of like it's, it's a streaming kind of thing where they could go back and recall it like a ring camera kind of deal. Right. So it's, it's in a cloud. Yeah. And they were, detectives were unable to determine if that footage was deleted. Like, normally you could yeah. see that footage got deleted, but they couldn't tell what happened to it. It was just like it wasn't there from October 30th to November 10th, the day of the murder. And then it started back up November 11th. I mean, I think that's a little sus. I would say, yeah. Yeah. But they couldn't determine whether or not it was a camera malfunction or a deletion. So they kind of really couldn't go on that evidence. No, I know, but you realize it sounds sus. Oh, I know. The one <laughs> the one camera that would at least show her walking towards it is gone. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's odd. I would say, yeah. Because, like you said, you still might catch somebody walking onto that piece of the gravel path. You might. You might. You never know. But I think that's important, your question of, like, is there a worker on the farm that did have access to that? Yeah, like access to the, you mean access to the farm or access to the film? Well, like well, the stream. Both. Yeah, that's true. But something else had been discovered. That despite the happy family pictures on her social media accounts, Amy had started another affair in June. Oh, really? Yes. This time, the affair was with a man named Jerry Frasher. And in another way, he was kind of someone she worked with. He oversaw the farm's hog operation. That right there is our clue. Yeah. We need to follow that. Follow the affair. Follow the affair. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of commonplace, right? I would say, yeah. So the two spoke all the time through text messages and phone conversations. So eventually they switched to email because Todd kind of gets a little suspicious. Um, so this is when the investigators want to get the whole story. 
right? They review all the records from both Todd and Amy's phone. They speak with all of Amy's friends, family. They speak with Jerry Frasher. And they want to find everything out. And trust me, they find a whole lot out. It's like what plays before them is like a farmland soap opera. This is uh, like interesting, actually. So like, they're requesting like all the emails between the two, I'm guessing. Oh, they have everything. That would be right up your alley. You'd oh, yeah. love that. I would read that <laughs> like a novel. <laughs> So Amy's friends were very vocal about her relationship with Todd. They actually called Amy P.O.T., property of Todd. And that was because he kept such close tabs on her. He needed to know where she was at all times. And sometimes she wasn't able to participate in things because Todd, like, wanted her home to take care of the kids, to help with the farm work. And it was kind of like a bit obsessive. Like, from the perspective of Amy's friends, they obviously understand that Amy had an affair in 2013, but she was willing to work on her marriage. But Todd got super obsessive about Amy making up for the fact that she had an affair. So he wanted her to go overboard in making up for this. I think that it's a slippery slope. I, I, I actually it's hard. Don't, yeah, it's, like, listen, it's I don't difficult. know how to put this. I could be wrong saying this, but I feel like sometimes if you're a guy and you are dealing with a situation like this, um, when you feel like you might be the inadequate one, and I'm just, I'm not saying in one, not in one sense, just in general. Okay, physically, yeah, emotionally. Physically, emotionally, whatever. You feel like the inadequate one. When something like an affair happens, I think that you automatically are going to gravitate to your most controlling, most absurd way, like yeah. ways, because you know that anytime she goes out, there's a possibility of that. You also want to assert your dominance, kind of, and that's what seems to be happening here. But it's it's bordering on. Well, I don't want to even use the word bordering. It's becoming obsessive and controlling. And that's not a positive relationship. Oh, no. it's it, it seems a little toxic. But with that being said, now that we know that there's been a second um, affair. affair, does that create motive? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, it could. Potentially. I think that from a wider perspective, um, it's very difficult um, when a couple tries to work on their relationship and rebuilding trust if there's been infidelity on one side or the other. And it's commendable that they want to work on their relationship because they have a family together. They obviously have all these farms together. So Amy's really trying to make this work, but Todd seems to not be letting this go. And what it seems like is she's now with somebody else because... And I, I don't want to say because of t- Todd's controlling behavior, but did he le- did he like push her into the arms of someone else, or I don't was think so. she not happy to begin with? I don't think so because you don't do it twice. Like right. like you did this before he pushed you into another guy's. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There like was, maybe she's just not happy. You know what? That's a possibility. And you know what? I mean, it could be debated, but I think that he obviously had. 
a lot of issues. And I always find that when I hear things like this, yeah. when it's the woman doing the infidelity and not the guy, I always feel like the guy is just unwilling and unable to accept it. Yeah. I think guys just have the inability to, and I and I and I don't know why. Because they do say women tend to have more emotional affairs. Yeah, yeah, true, true. But I just don't know why, like, you can't get past it. I mean, ha- things happen. Well, because it questions your manhood, and that's, like, different. Well, it's uh, the whole, it's it, it's a prideful thing, yes. I, I think. But, like yeah. I said, we do true crime here, not relationship No, we don't advice. see, we, guys, we are not <laughs> licensed professionals. No, we are not. But I'm just Never saying. Never take our advice. <laughs> <laughs> but what I, but, I mean, you get it. I mean, listen, every affair is unique to the relationship because everyone's relationship is unique and what it seems like is this couple they met each other they got married very quickly things were very serious you have two very hard-working people working on the farm working on in the er i mean they probably really didn't see each other and on top of that you're adding three kids right away that's a lot of pressure for any couple. And to elaborate on that even further, or to give you another piece of that, is think about it. Now she gets caught in her first affair, right? Yeah. Pretty much is being told, I want you to stay home. So now they're just together 24-7 with no break <laughs> at all. Yeah. So now it's like, even if, you know, because I do find that you do need to have some sort of outlet. You do need to your have healthy identity. relationships in general, not with the same person, even though it is your husband or wife. Right. You still need to be social and get out. And now that she's not able to do that, that is what forced her into another guy's arms. Right. Because she is not happy. He's not willing to work on it. And now, you and know. She can't even go out. No. Without being trailed. Yeah. That's complicated. I feel like if you're going to forgive someone for an affair, you have to forgive them or it's not going to work because someone also doesn't moral of the story is don't have affairs. Sure. I'll start with that. Yeah. And then I'll I'll follow up with you can't punish somebody because then what's the point of staying together? Well, you want to move on in happiness. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Anyway, and to our emotional corner. We got sidetracked. We got really sidetracked. We normally don't. So now, in questioning Amy's friends and family, the investigators had learned that Todd had lied to them. He had known about the second affair. Well, at least suspected it. He had contacted Amy's friends and former co-worker and asked about Amy's behavior. He told her that Amy was acting the same way she did when she had the first affair. Her friend said that she didn't know if Amy was having an affair But at one point, the friend kind of said, you know, like, maybe it would be better if the two of you weren't together because maybe you're not happy. And Todd said to her in response, I've worked for this farm since I was 11 and I will not give it up. Right. Are we building towards maybe the fact that he had something to do with it? Maybe. So now we know we know now that he has prior knowledge. Yeah. And that the. A reason to do this. Well, if he reacted so dramatically to, I don't, this is complicated. Um, I don't want to say he reacted dramatically to the first affair because I can imagine that's devastating. Your wife and the mother of your three children have an affair. That's devastating. But because he got so overbearing and controlling and obsessive, and then even though he did all of that, a second affair happened. I could only imagine that his reaction was bigger than that. Maybe even possibly making him go off the deep end. Correct. Yeah. 
Now, in addition to contacting her, he confronted Jerry Frasher directly. He checked Amy's phone records and noticed a lot of communication between them, so he figured he would just ask him. Frasher, of course, denied that anything was happening. Todd did not know whether or not to believe them, so he chose to contact Frasher's wife. Maybe she had more information, or maybe she had been suspicious as well. So when they had a conversation, she told uh, investigators that she had told Todd that, you know, you're being crazy, you can't accuse them of this, and she ended the conversation. Wow. But he had been right. You know, that's also territory that I think is, it's hard because do you go to the other side of this and blow up another family that maybe this isn't even on the radar and now you go there and do that? I I, I don't know if that's the right or wrong thing to do. Yeah. As, as, I don't want to say noble, because it's not really noble. It's you, You're really pursuing your own case here, but, you know, like that whole thing is bad to do. Like this well, whole thing. everything is bad. Yeah. These are, they have families. But what I'm saying is if your relationship is in crisis. Are you going to do it to another? Are you really going to go blow up that one too? Well, I think if you're angry, you would. Sure. Yeah. I don't think you're thinking rationally when you're first discovering that. But I think that by doing this is just showing more of his crazy side. Yeah. His because, character. you know, he's been messed with two times now. Right. Yeah. And then he really seemed to like not want to let this go because then he calls Amy's stepmother and asked her, you know, what she thought about Amy's recent behavior. And she said, like, she really doesn't want to get involved. But things must have been talked out between Todd and Amy because days later, Frasher and his wife receive a phone call from Todd and he apologized for his behavior and said it wouldn't happen again. Okay. So obviously she made him apologize. She must have smoothed it out somehow. Somehow. And they do have a business relationship. I mean, he's overseeing the hog operation. So, I mean, that involves his bottom dollar. Yeah. But the affair was happening. It had been confirmed by the phone records that the police had, but also Amy's friends. It had been true that there were rumors going around that Amy and Jerry had been having an affair. And when people asked Amy about it, she grew very upset and admitted that it was true. Her friends voiced many concerns. They told her to be careful that Todd didn't seem like the kind of person that she should be messing with. And when another friend told her about the rumors, Amy told her where to look for her body if she ever went missing, basically insinuating that Todd would kill her. And Amy also told other people that Todd had gotten to their oldest child, Tristan, and he'd gotten him involved and said that, you know, once Tristan had said to her, mom, if dad finds out you're going to have an affair, he'll kill you. That's really sad. I think that there's nothing worse when a kid is involved in, you know, two parents is uh, two parents. Dispute. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, a dispute and uh, you know, possible divorce. You know, that's children that's shouldn't sad. be put in the middle. Unfortunately, though, it's there are times where it's unavoidable. It's it's one thing if it's unavoidable. Another thing if you are talking to them about the other parent getting them involved. Yeah, pitting them against each other. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I mean that's 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 different. 
Right. You know, they may overhear things. That's one thing. It's it's hard, but that's a total other thing. Now, to add a complicated layer onto this aspect of the case, Tristan is essentially being groomed to take over the farm from Todd. So they have a special bond and a special relationship. And I think Tristan feels a certain responsibility to Todd because of the farming aspect of it all. And maybe it would uh, maybe have to do with lying about where he was. Maybe. So by July, Amy was telling her friends that she was to the point where she felt like she was strong enough to leave on her own. She said that even if Jerry wasn't going to leave his wife for her, that she was going to leave Todd. Like it wasn't like, oh, they're leaving their spouses for each other. She just needed to get away from Todd no matter what. She had to get out from underneath her husband's control. Amy told that same friend that she had been secretly looking for a job and another place to live. She told another person that she would have to just leave and do things harshly because Todd would not want to get a divorce because he would lose half of everything that he had built since they were married. And she also knew that socially and spiritually, he believed that divorce was unacceptable. Amy also told another friend that she feared that Todd would kill her if he ever found out that she was having an affair or wanted a divorce. Now, this is something that's difficult for me to grasp in this concept of it all, is it seems like he knew that she was having an affair, but why did he calm down? Did he calm down because he calmed down, or was he waiting? Was he planning? It, I mean, yeah, maybe he was, but I think it also has, to, based on the way she's talking to her friends, it seems like maybe she was just telling him what he wanted to hear to calm him down. We also don't know if he was abusive in any way or if he, uh, you know, was just like very, just an angry man, you know, and maybe like flipped out a lot. So was she doing it like to calm him down and just say what he wanted? Uh, she would say what he wants to hear and then it would be smoothed over for the time being. Maybe that's what was going on. Maybe she's placating Yeah, because we truly just don't know what's going on inside the walls of that house. And we never do. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think that, like, at a moment's glance, you're like, okay, well, she cheated twice. She was, you know, she was saying to people that he he wasn't accepting of all the other things. Like, you see her side, but you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. It's kind of, it's hard. This is difficult to see through. Yeah. From that point, which was now just past July, they knew that many things happened in Amy's life. In August, just a month after she had began to plan to leave Todd, potentially with this married man she'd been having an affair with, her grandmother passed away. Amy's brother, who she talked to a lot during this time, stated that she had told him that she was 100% certain that she was going to divorce Todd no matter what. However, she was nervous about Tristan. She confided in her brother that she knew her husband would flip out, as she put it, but she feared that her son would hate her for leaving, and that was something she struggled with. But in the end, she told her brother, I'm going to leave him after the harvest. And she died just after the harvest finished. Okay, I just want you to know, right now, timestamp, we're... An hour in, right? Yeah. 
Well, we're probably going to have to edit a lot of it out. Guys, okay. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm sick, so I'm doing a lot of sniffling. You are doing a lot of sniffling. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and I'm it's sorry okay. to you for editing. No, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. It's it's part of my job. Um, Seriously, though, I think I'm, I know what's going on here, but I'm not going to say it until we get a little closer. Okay. I, and I, can't I feel like even, you should share it. You want me to share? They want to know. All right. And look away from me because I don't want I don't want to. Okay, perfect, guys. I'm having a feeling here after what she just said, and I normally don't do this in the middle of an episode, but I I have to. I'm getting this picture in my mind right now that we're dealing with a weird situation where the kid might be responsible for her death, and that he didn't know that his child would do that. And that was their way of covering it up. Like like they worked together to cover up after the fact. And that is the weird picture that I'm getting. So it's like a Burke Ramsey thing you're trying to say. I, I think so. I think that's what's going on here. Because he's the only one now that I could, that I'm thinking, would have the ability to get there. Maybe she was having difficulty bringing out the object, the crate or whatever. And when he finally got there... Maybe he saw her doing something that he didn't like. Sending a text maybe message. Maybe it was a text maybe. or something, and, uh, whatever, and didn't like it. And, like, since he's been groomed, quote, unquote, maybe. To be Todd's, Yeah, maybe, like, maybe he just did minion. it. Maybe that's, he just did it. Because maybe he felt, theory. even though he's 13, that he felt that he had something to lose just as much as his father. Well, yeah, it would be his farm. Right. So, I mean, is that crazy to think that? I don't think it's crazy to think that at all. I mean, I think, I mean, maybe it is what's going on. Maybe it is. Maybe. I have a really good poker face right now. You do. I'm, I, I, I just, my guess. That okay. is my, that is my one and only guess that I'm going to stick to this episode. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. Okay. You know what's funny? What? You don't know this because you're not a big true crime person, but this is a big true crime case. Okay. So people are screaming at you right now. They're screaming. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. It could be good or bad. It could be good. I mean, I guess you're right. Screaming yeah. could be good or, or bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll have so, to find out. According to cell phone records, it was clear that something had been brought up in the Mullis house at the end of August because Todd had texted a mutual friend of his and Amy's and said that Amy had told him that there were rumors about her having an affair. And after she said that, she cried for hours and said she should just leave because we, meaning her family, are better off without her. However, after that situation, Todd never elaborated on it. See, if this was this man that was so filled with rage, would he be sending this text message to a friend? Or is it all calculating? I don't know. Right. It could be calculating. In October, Amy's uncle suffered from a brain bleed. Something that caused Amy to be away from Todd and the children as she was helping with his care. This situation pulled even harder on the shredded rope that was their marriage. It was October in Iowa, and that meant that Todd was extremely busy. He had hogs going out, he had a harvest to take care of, and because Amy was not there, he was taking on the burden by himself of taking care of the children and the house because she was gone. So that's a lot of pressure. So was this man 
furious, not only that his wife was having an affair, but that he was bearing the brunt of all of the work of their family and the farm. I once again, yeah, maybe, but we also you also have to remember that I mean these things do happen where family members get sick and things happen and you do have to go and and visit and take care of them. Like I don't know. Again, I'm, I always say this to you. Yeah. That's a rational thought process. You're right. You're it right. It seems like they're in the midst of an irrational part of their relationship. And probably not the best time to leave. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that leads us to the procedure that she had on November 6th. And her murder was on November 10th. Actually, according to text messages, Amy had texted Jerry Frasher the morning of her murder. 10-12 to be specific. She said to him, do you know what I'm doing today? Cleaning fucking light fixtures in the barn. What the fuck? Ooh. Okay. Yes. So all of this information led investigators to two suspects. Either the jealous husband or the boyfriend. So, I mean, it could have been Jerry. Did he not want to leave his wife and he's getting mad that Todd called? He's getting mad that she's pressuring him to leave because she wants to leave Todd after the harvest. The harvest's over. So now what? What are you going to do? Is there pressure? Maybe. But would you risk everything that you have with your wife, um, your job, and everything else that comes with it over that? But wouldn't it be perfect? He wasn't even there. Right. But he's being suspected of it, but his wife's not giving him shit for it. Well, could his wife have done it? That's what investigators were thinking, too. I mean, mean, yeah. yeah, Now that you bring that up. Could Jerry Frasher's wife also be responsible? Because she might have just been playing it up. Oh, nothing's happening. But did she know, too? It's a possibility. Very interesting. It, it is a possibility, but I, I, I'm just thinking like, if she, even if his wife n- knew that it was true, but w- just like them was willing to work on it, then he wouldn't throw it all away to kill her. Right. You know. And now we can add a fourth suspect to the list. You're thinking potentially, what if Tristan killed his mother because he'd been pushed to do it by his father. There are these expectations that are being pushed on him, and maybe he has this, like, feeling of righteousness of this is wrong, of that you're doing this to our family. Yeah, well, that's my theory. Interesting. So, to be very honest, it seemed like the investigators, now also being pulled from the State Bureau of Investigation, liked Todd for this. Todd was their main guy. And this is because they felt that he'd been hiding things during his initial interview. Like, he said, she had an affair in 2013, but we're all good. We're all good. We have great communication. Things are working well between us. And he never even mentioned to them the fact that he suspected her of having a second affair. And that he was frustrated with her about the distribution of work that was happening because she was caring for her uncle. So that's why they they like Todd for it the most. And the reason why they didn't think it was a party from outside the farm was that luckily for them, early in the morning of November 10th, it had there'd been a light snow and there were no footprints from like the road into the house property. 
house. Okay. So like the only footprints that existed went from the house to the hog barn to the red shed. Like there was just tracks of footprints in those three locations. Right. So foot traffic throughout the farm, but not n- outside of, of the area. Correct. Okay. So that made them think it couldn't have been an outside party. Gotcha. In addition to this, cell phone records of the couple, the Frasher couple, were checked and they were, like their alibi was that they were home the whole time and their cell phones pinged at their home 45 minutes away from the Mullis farm. Okay, so they must have had no involvement. Yeah. Or did they hire someone? Maybe. I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. You never know. No, you're right. But the police did eliminate them as suspects. So right now, the police are really focused just solely on Todd. Okay. They're not even thinking about Tristan right now. I mean, which makes sense. Yeah, he's 13. So they asked him again, Todd, to run through his day. And everything stayed the same. He told the same exact story again. And he brought to the attention of investigators the largest fact that had been working against them when it came to the the husband did it theory. Todd was always in the view of his son. So how could he have done it? Well, this investigator was pulling no punches. He said, I get it. You have the farm. You're trying to be a good husband and dad. And she isn't pulling her weight because she's off taking care of her uncle. And on top of that, she had an affair. You forgave her, and now here she is having another affair. Obviously, the detective was trying to commiserate with Todd. They knew he felt this way because they had read the communications that he'd been having with his friends. Amy doesn't help with any of the farm work. She does maybe half of the chores at home, he said. But Todd is sticking with every aspect of his original story. He claimed to only have known about the first affair. He said he'd heard the rumors about Jerry, but he never thought they were true. The investigator pushed and pushed, really trying to open Todd up. But after two hours of questioning, his story never changed. Um, He never exploded with rage. He just kept saying, I never killed my wife and I wouldn't kill my wife. And everything you're accusing me of just wasn't true. And with no other evidence, police had to let him go. That's crazy. And while this was happening, I think it's important to note that this case blew up. It was all anyone in Delaware County, really the entire state, could talk about. Everyone in town had known Amy. She was beautiful, vivacious, and Todd and his family were very well-known, successful farmers. It was crazy that this was happening to them, to their community, the farming community. And of course, all of this attention is going to get the rumor mill going on overdrive. And these rumors were heard all over town and sometimes even repeated in the media. Some of the things that had gotten out there, and they're still alleged because we obviously don't have any evidence to support these claims, but it was said by neighbors that although Todd was a well-known, hard-working, and successful farmer, that he had a bit of a cruel streak in him, that he could be a scary man. And there were stories of him being cruel to the animals and things being done to the animals in front of the children. It was implied that the animals were killed in front of the children. 
And these rumors get so bad that an advocate for the family reached out to the media to make a statement and included the fact that what is being said about Todd is untrue. The murder allegations and the cruelty to animals, especially in front of his children. The advocate also said that Todd was hurt by the fact that all of these people whom he had once called his friends were turning on him so viciously. It's it's hard because the community is so tight-knit and small. And when you feel like everyone around you is ganging up on you, I, could, I, I mean, if you have nothing to do with this, that's a really crappy feeling. Yeah, I agree. And I also feel like the community is very, I don't know, I don't want to make assumptions. But a lot of people associate farmers with like hardworking old school views. And I don't think that they necessarily would support Todd if he did something like this. Because he's, if he did kill his wife, he destroyed his family. And he committed a sin. I see what you're saying. You know, okay. you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's why they turned on him because they're thinking you're not upholding the values that we try to project in this community, in this state, in this county. Everyone turned on him. Yeah. I they also, made him like this yeah. ultimate bad guy. I also, I listen, I don't know about Iowa, but I know where I lived, you know, uh, for a while that all the farmers were, I don't want to say jealous, but I want to say... They were always waiting to see if someone would fail. Yeah. So, like, I remember one time my dad having to go up there to help the farmer that he was friends with take care of his field because he couldn't have done it without more help. Yeah. And it seemed like other farmers in the area were waiting for him to fail and for oh, something to go so wrong. Sad. Yeah. So, so that, they're waiting for the giant to fall. Yeah. And that's what yeah, Todd Mullis I, I think that's what, I, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at here. So, you know, even though everyone's so friendly to your face, you never really know what's going on. No, that's really Especially true. in an industry like that. Yeah, it's kind of cutthroat. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So if Todd had a family advocate, it's safe to say that he secured himself a lawyer. In his communications with the police, the lawyer just touched upon more of the same. The incident occurred because Amy had been unsteady on her feet due to a recent medical procedure that she had undergone, and it was all just a horrible accident. Todd had been with Tristan. The detectives believed many things were off, and they were going to continue to investigate. They believed that the 911 call was odd. The driving to the hospital was odd. And the fact that when he told Tristan to go get the truck, he not only removed the corn rake from her back, but he never tried to administer CPR. So he yeah. had caused even more excessive bleeding. And he, she essentially bled out. And he never tried CPR there on the scene wait a minute one of the biggest things here hold on what oh my god how did i not think about this wait a minute okay when the kid when the i guess i'll call you know for lack of a better term the neighbor brought the the child home yeah he had blood all over his clothes yes all over him okay where are those clothes because he took he took a shower change his clothes i'm just trying to say they collected the clothes i wonder if 
if there was enough, I mean, there's probably so much blood that it might not have mattered, but I wonder if there was any blood spatter on his shirt. I'm going to be honest with you. Even if he, there was blood spatter all over the front of his shirt, if he had done this, it was so saturated with blood that it didn't matter. That it didn't matter. Okay. They All wouldn't right. have been able to tell, but they did collect the clothing from him. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Because remember, they followed him home too. They asked him to show the site or and everything. Okay. So the investigators also worried about the fact that Todd still had custody of the children, and they knew his alibi hinged on the fact that Tristan had said his father was with him the whole time. So could he be coaching Tristan, telling him what to say, what all the children should say? And they just didn't know. And they felt like it was so they never want to take kids away from a biological parent. But here, the other biological parent is being suspected of murdering the other. And his alibi is the kids. So by leaving Todd alone with the three children, is he spending his time coaching them? And if you remember, Amy even voiced some concern that Tristan would be mad at her for leaving and side with his father. Well, how would Tristan even know that if this whole situation hadn't been brought up to him? So it is even unhealthy that a 13-year-old boy knows about the situation of, like, an affair happening. Yeah, but it happens. It happens. It happens. It's just tremendously sad. So... Because of all these factors, investigators were kind of rushing against the clock to find evidence against Todd because they want to keep the kids away from him. So if they find evidence, they could like get Tristan and be like, don't listen to your dad if 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 it's not true. Right. And they and they need to do that because that would be a way to make sure that this alibi that he has could be proven wrong. Exactly. That it's not real. Right. Yeah. Well, They wouldn't have to wait long. Now, months prior, after they had cleared Jerry Frasher and his wife, the investigators got another warrant, a more detailed and inclusive one, one that included Todd's iPad. And what they found on it was wild. The iPad was associated with Todd's designated Apple ID, and the Google Chrome browser was signed into his Google email address. So, um, someone using the iPad searched the following things. Are you ready? I'm ready. What did the Aztecs do with cheating spouses? Placement of organs in the body. 16 facts about cheating women. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Did ancient cultures kill unfaithful women? Thrill of the kill. Killing unfaithful women. Punishment, 18 months for killing cheating wife. And this is in reference to a recent case in the area where a husband had murdered his wife. And as you can guess, he was only sentenced to 18 months. Now investigators knew that everyone in the house did have access to that iPad, but they believed that it was most feasible that Todd had Googled those things. And like, come on, Todd. Okay, I, I, I don't think an adult searched that. You don't think an adult searched that? I don't think an adult searched that. Why? Okay, I think that it's just a little weird 
like the search the searches themselves are very suspect like okay the the aztec thing yeah is, is odd it would almost be like okay the kid was learning about the aztec empire so he looked up shit like it doesn't seem like uh, an adult would look that up like that. Like I see what you're I, saying. If you read them again to me, well, well which I, I'm not asking I you to do. I would think that maybe there is some like kind of association with like Native American cultures and farming because you know maybe some techniques are used or you know like practices to try and get a good harvest. You know, like the sacrifice thing. I don't know. I, I just think that this man was tending to his farm twenty four seven. Yeah. I don't think this guy had enough time to be on his iPad. But I just find the searches a little bizarre. Yeah. That's like the search. You, okay. Another example that I'm. You're asking for examples. And I'm like scrambling because I'm just trying to like give a good example. Mm-hmm. The one search about the case that the guy only got 18 months. Yeah. A kid would look that up to see how much trouble his father would get into if he got arrested and put in jail. Right? Well, can I can I be honest? Yeah. You might be onto something in saying that a kid did those searches, but a kid might have done those searches because he heard that. He might have heard his father say, once a cheater, always a cheater. I'll kill you like they did, like, you know, like in biblical times. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Do you think he might have heard this and then looked it up to see if this was all true? Like, what would happen if my dad killed my mom? I mean, listen. In what the, would the, happen if, you know what Right. I mean, listen. In today's day and age, yeah. What better way to get confirmation on something than to look it up on Google, right? Yeah. So, but maybe Todd also didn't know that this could be tracked like this. I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking no. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm thinking that he did know. And I think it's it would be bizarre to, like, be forthcoming to a point with everything but not what's on his search history I, that's the first thing that somebody could just go to and delete well what they think they're deleting yeah but to delete it here it's not even deleted it's just there do you think that kids would have been like if you're going the route of the kid don't you think they're super savvy and they would have been smart enough to delete it whereas he wouldn't have been I mean, I, I think nowadays kids are capable of a lot of things. Oh, my God. I even think the kid would be able to even delete the footage of, of, of the barn. It's easy to do. But then wouldn't he have deleted his search history? Maybe he did delete it, but they found it regardless. Because right. just because you delete your... Well, no, it, they would have mentioned that it was deleted. It, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't? Yeah. Mm. Maybe they, maybe a kid didn't think that they would check the iPad. You are going hard on Tristan. I am. You know what it is? I'm, I'm doubling down. I'm okay. doubling down. So that's why my theory is what it is. That's why I'm kind of going into it like okay. this. Right. But I don't I don't know. The, the searches just feel weird to me. I see what you're saying. It doesn't seem like a man in his 40s. Like it doesn't seem like something a man in his 40s would search. It right. seems kind of all over the place. Like maybe like a child would search for it. And I, I, and I don't know. And I, it I, could I, just be because he heard his dad saying this, maybe. not necessarily because he did it. I mean, that's a possibility. I also think that a, an adult would know, for the most part, where organs are and where they are yeah. positioned, whereas a 13-year-old has questions. Well, that's the search for the organ location is going to come up later. Okay. Okay. So after this evidence is found on the iPad, the investigators and the district attorney believe that they would have enough evidence to convict him. 
Todd was arrested in February of 2019, and his trial date was set for just seven months later. This case greatly divided the farming community. Todd was either being seen as the jealous husband who would rather kill his cheating wife than give her half of the shares of the farm in the divorce. Others were supporters of Todd, though, and they didn't think that he would murder his wife. Maybe it was her own extramarital affairs that had been the cause of her death. I feel I need to make a note here. Um, It's important to note this. There was an overzealous Facebook group that seemed more like they were in love with Todd than they were justice seekers, if you know what I mean. Okay. You know how, like, people always come out of the woodworks and, like, like the killer? Yeah, like like in Gone Girl, when, like, the woman's making them, like... uh, The casseroles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly like that. Okay. Another important thing to note about the case was the fact that it was being televised, the whole thing. And because of this, it was discussed on court TV in excess, as well as covered on all the local news stations. So people knew everything that was happening and everyone had their opinions. And it was a very much divided front. Now, of course, I'm going to link the it's on YouTube if you want to watch the whole court case. Um, But I'll link that in our show notes as well. So when it came to the courtroom, people reported that tensions were high. There was a hatred between Todd's and Amy's families. It was palpable, as you can imagine. And when I would listen to that, like going back, watching the, the court footage and the legal analysis, it just makes your heart break for the three kids because I know that you have your theory, my love, but... These three children lost their mother. They were devastated. And now their father could also be gone for the rest of their lives. It's an insane situation. And as you just mentioned, if the kid did not do it, I'm going to feel like the biggest asshole that's ever <laughs> been on a podcast before. So I'm... I, John, I promise you, you're not the biggest asshole that's ever been on a podcast before. <laughs> Well, You're fine. All right. Well, regardless, I'm still going to feel like a piece of crap. <laughs> no, it's a theory because yeah. you don't know. So um, this is being televised. It's crazy. Everyone is kind of getting swept up in this, this whole like farming community, the affairs, the everything. And, and that's another thing that I feel bad for the kids about is Amy's affairs are being talked about at nauseam. And I feel bad that that dirty laundry had to be played out for the children because I I don't think they should be remembering their mother that way. You know what I mean? That's a fair point. It's probably difficult for them to hear and probably still is. Probably something they still have to deal with. So when Todd Mullis entered the courtroom, he looked like a completely different person. He had lost a lot of weight. And in fact, he had some fanfare around him. Uh... And that definitely wasn't going to bode well for him. You'd be surprised how big of a factor appearances play into a trial for a jury. And he would have been a little bit less... uh, Intimidating? Intimidating. He would have looked like, oh, just like your cute little farmer. Because he like was a little chubby. But then now he's just like 
I don't want to say gaunt, but he had lost a lot of weight. Okay. I think I could speak for the farming community. I don't think they want to be called cute. <laughs> I know. I'm doing a lot of lumping in. I know. No, yeah. but you know what I mean. Like, oh, just like the nice farmer. Like, I know what you mean. He wouldn't do that. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I want to make an apology to the farming community. Yeah. You're cool. I'm their spokesperson. So you're I... cool. You're not cute. Okay. Okay. So I think we, we humbly accept okay. your apology. Thank you. Thank you. I like that because you live next to a farmer, you're accepting for the entire community. Well, I have to. Someone has to. Okay. I'm stepping up. I'm stepping up. So the trial was a long and lengthy one. And it got into details. So again, if you want to watch the whole thing, I'm going to put the link up in the show notes. But I'm going to give you the highlights. The basis for the defense was hinged on Amy's affair and a change in strategy for Todd. Todd's lawyers claimed that for the longest time, Todd had said that Amy died because of a fall or an accident. And that was because he had just happened upon this scene and assumed that that was what happened. His mind didn't even go to murder. And that was why he was suspected because the whole time, the whole time at the scene, the whole time during the 911 call, he had been treating this as if it was an accident. If he would have known that it was a murder, he would have been able to know things like he didn't know there were six puncture wounds he didn't see it because amy was covered in blood if he knew she was murdered he would have never pulled that out of her he would have never done a lot of things but he just assumed as anyone would have coming upon that scenario this was an accident right or that he just had no involvement correct that everything that was done was more innocently than mischievous or 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 um with with malintent, intent. malintent. Yeah. thank you yes and because he thought it was an accident he didn't know how deep the rake was he thought it just was like in her and she like passed out because she was nervous or maybe that it had something to do from the surgery beforehand right, like she was dizzy yeah. she passed out and this mm-hmm. was like he didn't know the damage that had been done so um they're now admitting that it was murder and they would state that it hadn't been Todd that had murdered Amy, that there were suspects other than Todd, especially because of the affairs that Amy had been carrying on. So that was the basis of the defense. One of the dramatic moments in the courtroom, and trust me, there will be many, was when one of the responding deputies was on the stand and he presented the corn rake and it had been wrapped in like an evidence bag and he like dramatically unwrapped it and the jury got to see this corn rake and it was nothing like they thought it was going to be. There was a broken handle, it was rusty and the prongs weren't as sharp as you would think they are. Like, yeah, they're sharp. But you have to hit this thing with tremendous force for it to get that deep. These aren't sharpened knives here. Right. They're dulled. They're not like uh, to a point, sharpened to a point. Right. Yeah. And that was kind of that was horrifying for the jury to be like, whoa, this is this is what did it. This is what ended this poor woman's life. Which is even more of a reason why it's not an accident. Right. Todd does take the stand in his defense. And the cross-examination was very extensive. Highlights were the prosecution asking to sometimes I'm going to have to say words that I don't want to say, but I'm going to say them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 
highlights were um, the prosecution asking Todd if he made Tristan quit the band because, quote, he said the band is for pussies. And Todd denied this and said that it was Tristan's choice to go on and play football and not play band. Okay. I'm going to leave that there. In the yeah, ether, we'll just leave that okay? one alone. Yeah. Um, he asked about his porn. He was asked about his Pornhub searches. And this was incredibly awkward. Um, there was no weird search. It, like, I don't want to say weird. Like what you like, guys, as long as it's a, as long as it's legal. Um, but there were no like odd search. Like, I don't want to say odd. Ah, I keep getting myself in trouble. <laughs> there were no like they didn't talk about what he searched for on Pornhub. Just the fact that he watched porn. Like they were like, did you visit Pornhub.com? And he was like on the stand. He said, yes. He claimed that he and Amy watched it together. I don't necessarily know if that's true. But um, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with somebody watching porn. So it was just it was odd that they were focusing on that because it seemed to not have any direction. It seemed like through the cross-examination, they were trying to just make him. They were trying to show like a different side of him. Because they were trying to portray him as this, like, upstanding businessman, like, nice guy. And they were like, oh, you watch porn. I don't know. Don't forget the the audience of the jury of, like, you could have, like, people who are very religious. So That's true. So it could really, truly affect people's decisions. Um, then they are asking about the search history. And one of the specific searches that they're asking about is the search history conducted on November 6th that was for the body organ maps and diagrams. So originally when he had been questioned by his lawyer, he claimed that his daughter didn't know what kind of surgery her mother was getting so that she sat down with him and they Googled body organs so he could show her this is where your mom's getting surgery okay that could be the case or a really good uh usage of defense yeah right that's it's, a good way to write that off yes good question <laughs> good answer the one thing is the search according to the ipad was conducted at 1 a.m now, the defense is claiming that the there was some, an offset in time regarding all of the searches. So if you look at all of the searches, the time frame was off because there was a time issue with the iPad, which I don't know if I just feel like the Apple products automatically set the time. Unless it was rolled back on purpose. Potentially. Or, or um, maybe if it was shut off and then... It was turned back on. I can't remember back in 2014 what would happen. So I. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I'm going to back out of this. The prosecution brought many people on the stand to describe what they called a soap opera. They claimed that Todd was furious not only about the fact that Amy was having an affair, but also that she was choosing not to help around the house. Then he learned that Amy was going to leave him, and that had been the last straw. He was not going to see what he had worked for since he was 11, as he had said to others, taken away from him by his cheating, lazy wife. Oof. 
Friends and family stated that they had been worried for Amy as she approached the time that she said she was going to tell Todd she wanted a divorce. And her stepmother even claims on the stand that when Amy had had that first affair in 2013, that Todd had said to her, like she she kind of said something to him along the lines of, it's nice that you guys are working this out. And he said, oh, I don't want to lose the farm. So it doesn't seem as genuine as... As, as one would think. Right. Then, and this was a very tense moment, as you can imagine, Jerry Frasher took the stand. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Okay. It was intense. So the goal of putting Frasher on the stand was to disprove the defense's theory that it could have been someone else, because mainly the defense was saying, well, she's having an affair. What about the guy that she was having an affair with? Well, they're putting him on the stand to show that it wasn't him. Okay. So they're trying to prove reasonable doubt, and the prosecution is trying to shut down the defense's reasonable doubt claim. Gotcha. Okay. So Frasher stated that he was nowhere near the farm at the time of the murder. He said that he was home with his wife when he responded to the email that Amy sent about the cleaning the light fixtures. Remember, she emailed him at 1012. Yeah. So he responded and they were able, that ping was at his home. Okay. So he was there. Yes. Yeah. So, and again, the Frashers live 45 minutes away from the Mullis farm and the location of Frasher's wife's phone also pinged at the same tower during that same time period. Uh, while he was on the stand, Frasher read the conversation that they had been having that morning. <laughs> okay. I no, it really it. wasn't. It wasn't bad. Oh, okay. it's very BG. All right. So he said to her in a message, slept horrible. She replied, well, that sucks. I could be there to take care of you. I'm a pretty good nurse. Don't like to see you sick. That's it. And then she said the thing about the lights. That she had to clean the lights. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like scandalous. No, like but everyone play- expected right. it to but be. But it's playful, though. Uh, very much so. Yeah. So next they asked him, oh, God. Next, they asked him about the last time he had seen Amy, and they asked if there had been any sexual contact. And he had to answer that she had given him oral sex. Finally, they asked him if Amy had ever discussed with him what she thought would happen if Todd ever found out she was leaving or if she left Todd. And he said that Amy told him that she would disappear if Todd ever found out about the affair or if she was planning to leave. And I definitely think they did all of this because they wanted to see Todd Mullis's reaction and maybe get that flash of anger and have the jury see it. Right. There's no other reason to ask the question about the sex. No. And to be honest, as a family member of Amy Mullis, I would have been angry about that question. That's true. There's no purpose. There's for no it. purpose, but well, the purpose is that if they can make him look bad, right? But they didn't, and yeah. he didn't react yeah. because his lawyers told him not to. Not react. to, right? And then, if you thought things couldn't get any more dramatic, thirteen-year-old Tristan took the stand from a remote location, obviously because he's a minor, not only to you know 
respect his privacy, but also to make everything less traumatic. This poor child had been traumatized by what happened and John's accusations. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) Oh, man. So it's never ideal to have a child who was already traumatized from witnessing the murder and death of his mother take the stand. But in this case, Tristan was Todd's alibi. He had to be there. Um, He had to say what happened because the claim was that the two were together the entire time. And like I said before, the prosecution was nervous that Todd had been coaching his son, who had been sticking to the fact that his father had been in his line of sight, in his view, the entire time. And that would be big for a jury to hear. I think it would be hard for me to convict someone of murder if their son and the son of the victim is saying, no, he was with me the whole time. Oh, yeah. I would have trouble doing that. That's true. But that's not what happened. To the shock of many, Tristan's story changed. It changed? Yes. Okay. He said that actually on the day of the murder... He had left his father alone to get a drink of water back at the house, which is beyond the red shed and to the left, if you're looking directly at the property. Again, I'll put pictures up. This is huge. Did Todd have enough time to attack his wife while his son was going to get a drink of water? Or did Tristan attack her while he was going to get a drink of water? Man, listen, listen, hold on. There's no way that this man, you you call him, I think you call him burly or pudgy, whatever you... Oh my God, I said he was like a little chubby. All right, well, you know what? Regardless of what you call him. um, I mean, he's a farmer, he's agile. Yeah, but think about it. He still has to go 100 yards plus. You're going to tell me that someone that was already... Close to the uh, to the shed, walked from the shed to the house to grab a water, and in that time, somebody that's a hundred and hundred yards plus got over there and committed that, and then and then what? Went all the way back. That doesn't seem right either, though. Yeah, because how long does it? Well, how long was he in the house getting water? That's the question. Couldn't have been that long. But I have another question. For you and the audience and everyone, because this is something that's puzzling me, right? sure. Let's say Todd is the one who did this. Tristan goes and gets a drink of water. What are the chances that she's still in the red shed? Huh. Right. I see, I see what you're saying. Or even if you're say, even if Tristan did it, for example. Yeah. What are the chances that this worked out so per? It kind of seems like it was a crime of passion. Well, if like, she- mm-hmm. hold on, I just thought of something. Okay. Tristan's going to get a drink of water. Correct. So he's not there. Okay. Todd looks around and he's like, oh, where's the pet finder? Oh, the pet finder's not even out. She can't do anything. And then he walks over to the red shed and he sees her on her phone and he's thinking, who's she talking to? And then you have this moment. There is there there does seem to be a blunt force trauma defense wound thing. And then he stabs her and he may have only stabbed her one time. And then when Tristan went around to go get the truck, he could have done it the second time when he pulled it out. 
because he was angry. And he just wanted to make sure she was dead because she was still breathing because Tristan said she has a pulse. So he said, go get the truck. And then when he pulled it out, he put it right back in. Oh, my God. I just friggin solved this. <laughs> I mean, that I mean, it's good. I, I mean, you might be right. Yeah, you could be. You could be right. We either one of us could oh be my right. God. Somebody or hire wrong. us, please. <laughs> okay. So then they like that was like a bombshell. So imagine Core TV, the drama of it all. Nancy Grace freaking out. Um, Tristan changes his story. There now was time that's not accounted for. Not necessarily proving that he did it or not, but his solid alibi is now gone. And that's a big deal. So then Todd is put on the stand again, and he said that he did remember Tristan going to get water at some point in the day, but he had gone so quickly that there just wouldn't have been enough time for him to do what he was accused of doing. Then something very controversial happened. This is weird. Todd's put back on the stand, obviously, to like uh, answer for this. The fact that his son went to go get water. Okay. And the prosecution brings something else up. So just like there were groups trying to prove Todd's innocence, there were also groups trying to prove that he was guilty. And someone in one of these groups contacted the prosecution and told them that if they listened to the 911 tape again, they could hear Todd mumbling something under his breath while he's completing CPR on his wife. And the prosecution is saying that Todd is mumbling under his breath, cheating whore. Like while they're saying, okay, give breasts, do chest compressions, that he says cheating whore. That he could be heard saying that. Now, if you listen to it and later the defense is going to claim Todd says she's cold. Personally, I think the audio is terrible from the 911 call. It's also another reason why I didn't play it on the podcast because the audio is really bad. And I don't think that he, Todd killed his wife. In front of his son, he's going to call her a cheating whore while the 911 operator is listening. I, I don't think he did it. And I personally heard she's cold. It was with the wind chill, negative four degrees that day. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess anything's a possibility. But like like you said, it's bad audio. Um, there was obviously some distance between yeah. the two because they were uh, relaying messages back and forth. Yeah, she, he put the phone down. Yeah, he put the phone down. So, I mean, it's possible that he didn't say that. But, but this was like the cherry on top of the soap opera that had been presented in the courtroom. Yeah. And the prosecution really ran with it. But I don't know. I What I think personally is that it's kind of like if someone said, hey, listen to this. Don't you hear someone saying hello? You're going to hear someone say hello. Right. If it's played, if you are told ahead of time what something says, you're gonna try to make it work, especially if you're the prosecute uh, the prosecutors, and especially to, if you're the defense and like the both defense, ways. right? Exactly. So like both sides have something to gain or lose. So yeah, they're gonna play it the how and spin it however they want. Exactly. 
But one thing that I find really disappointing is I think when it comes to the prosecution, I think they had other factors that were stronger pieces of evidence, whether it be physical or circumstantial, that they could have used against Todd. And the fact that they were kind of like going all in with this audio, I found to be weird in watching the whole court case. Maybe they just thought people... um People will like this. Maybe, yeah. So during the closing arguments, the prosecution made the centerpiece of their argument the whispers heard on the 911 call. And that's essentially what they are, whispers. The defense tried to create as much reasonable doubt as possible. They also repeated the fact that Todd said she's cold in the 911 call. And that when difficult audio exists, sometimes you hear things if people tell you it's there. It's the power of suggestion. It took the jury two days to deliberate. What do you think? Ooh. I think they got to find him guilty. They did. Yeah. Todd was found guilty. And the first sentencing hearing was delayed because of COVID. And in the time between the guilty verdict and the actual sentencing hearing, Todd had hired another team of lawyers. Um, Through them, he requested another trial from the judge. He was claiming misconduct on the side of the prosecution, claiming that they didn't have evidence or know about the statements made in the 911 tape, and they were just, like, grasping at straws and listening to Facebook groups. So... Uh, he thought that was odd, but the judge is going to deny his claim. Todd was asked if he would like to speak, and he just simply said he did not do this. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. My theory was wrong, but this is the only thing I'm going to say. Okay. There have been... And I don't want this to seem like I'm being on his side because I'm not. And we also, I ha- you know, look, we're also dealing with the fact that a woman did die. Yeah. And, and, and it's a horrible way. Correct. I'm not taking anything away from that. All I'm going to say is this. There are many men in his situation, let's say, that if a divorce was imminent, there's two camps. It's like, okay, well... He would kill her because then he wouldn't lose anything, right? But then the other camp is, but why would he risk everything Everything then? Because even half of what he has is still a lot. And really, at the end of it, his kids would get it all anyway. Right. Like, I'm just thinking, if he, if he really did it, why? Well, listen, Amy's not going to run a farm. No, she's probably she probably sell it or or pass right. it on or or he whatever. would buy her out or make her a partner or something. I'm sure it would be talked about and figured out. So that's why I don't understand why you would risk it all. I think and it's a pride thing, like maybe. you said earlier. I mean, earlier. it could be. It really could be, but I don't know. I I I don't know if somebody He was angry. We saw his reaction to the first affair. Yeah. Everyone who was a part of Amy's life It wasn't just you had an affair and now your husband's mad so he kind of wants to keep tabs on you to build back trust. Everyone in Amy's friend group and family believed that she was in danger. You're right. I mean, listen, and she did 
tell people that, hey, if anything ever happens to me, you know, yeah. this is where to find me or this, which would imply that she is in danger, that she is in danger or felt like she was. And there were things in the house happening that we are unaware of. And I don't think it's a good gauge um, to say, well, this woman's having an affair, so she can't be nervous. Well, that's not necessarily true. She could be having those affairs because she is nervous and she does need to escape the reality that is her life and controlling and bad marriage. Yeah. So because sometimes people say that and mm-hmm. use it as like an excuse against it. But I think what I said was right. I think I th- what you said is right. I think that yeah. when Tristan told him she has a pulse, he said, go get the truck. And that's why there's two punctures. I think he plans on there only being one. And I think there was only two extra because he thought he got her in the same spot. Ooh. I like that. You're welcome. That was, that's, I mean, you might be right about that. Yeah. You really might be. I mean, my theory was way off. But I was thinking, could you imagine if it was? Yeah. That would be crazy. Well, I will share something with you. Um, when I do research for – sometimes I venture into the wild world of Reddit. You know, I'll I'll look and see what are theories on a case because it's always interesting to know. And people do say it is odd – why the Tristan aspect was never explored because he was present that day too. And when he went to go get that glass of water, he would have had to have passed the red shed to get the water. So either he maybe saw something or I don't know if he did something, but the investigators and the police must have known maybe from his demeanor, the way he acted that, that he didn't do this. He seemed very traumatized. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean that's true too. I mean, now I feel bad. I'm sorry. Well, don't feel bad, honey. It's okay. You're <laughs> but, just trying to figure things out and I often throw twists at you. That was good. That was very very good. Um yeah. It's a wild case. It was really interesting. And I think that it's just shocking because it it, it also gives you a glimpse into this world of farming. And the intensity of it and the high pressure situations and the weight that it has on families and the, the high stakes. I mean, yeah, a, a, f- a farming community and a farming family. I mean, they're all in. They're all invested in it. It's right. not just a, oh, this is what my dad does for a living. Like, no, everybody in that Him, household brother, is yeah. does something to help out. You know, it's, and it's true that the pressure could have been on the son, and that's most likely why he lied for his father. Maybe. Okay, well, until next time, as always, don't park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye.